Hello and welcome to The Big Rishi, the podcast where we're tracking the first 100 days of Rishi Sunak's premiership, seeing if he meets his promises and just what he gets up to on the way. Joining me today is Rory Taylor, Hello. our uh, social media coordinator and Zach Michaelis, TLDR's editor-in-chief. Hello, hello, hello. No Ben today. No, it's oh, a first. What a shame. What is a it shame. a first? I have no idea. It feels it's like certainly it must one be. of few. Yeah. Ben is currently on holiday. Um, he's probably listening to this in the car while driving around Scotland. It's almost inevitable. Surely yeah. he's listening, yeah. right? Um, so, hello, Ben. Anyway, <laughs> important matters to get on with. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's a good good few kind of issues floating around at the moment. I think we actually have to ditch the issues. <laughs> no! <laughs> no, I do. Have I allowed the first one? You Each can have episode. fine deal. You have yeah. the first one. During I just, we received so many complaints for the issues last time. I do just think it's going to circle back and be funny again, though. Do you think? I think it has to. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, go on. You have the first issue. Can I have it again? You please. Okay. There's a lot of issues. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember my point. Okay, so one of the biggest issues facing both Sunak and the government generally centers around strikes. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about this before in previous podcasts. This was a trust issue as well, um, and it was an issue all summer. It was a Johnson issue. It's just an issue. Um, throughout the summer, we saw a number of strikes. Sorry? A it's a what? A bar issue. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Thank you, Thomas. Um, We've seen all kinds of disruption from strikes, particularly the railway has been a major one, the post office as well, uh, upcoming nurses' strikes. So do you want to give me a quick rundown of what's been happening with strikes, why we're having so many, and also kind of what's happening now? Yeah, so the main ones that most people in the UK will have noticed and possibly have got used to by now is the uh, the train strikes. Um, They've been going on for months now. different railway unions having different industrial disputes but primarily focused around um pay levels and also uh, job conditions and um things like scheduling shifts that mm-hmm. type of thing um the main one that everyone kind of i think most people would know about is the rmt one which yes. is the rail maritime and transport union okay. led by mick lynch um that strike has been suspended for now because mm-hmm. um, they have secured uh i think they call them intensive negotiations or unconditional negotiations with the operators sure um so we're kind of one strike on hold at the moment but there's still other train strikes going on so um i think we've got some later this month and then possibly some in december as well uh so they're definitely an ongoing not over yet issue yes yeah um so obviously it's been as i said it's been an issue that a number of different administrations have had to tackle now um johnson and truss relatively limited grasp on the issue that continued to this day um what's sunak's approach to the strikes and is it likely to be any more successful um so sunak uh well his transport secretary mark harper mm-hmm. um friend of the friend of the channel friend of the yeah uh, friend of the channel. he has taken a different approach to grant shapps who is his predecessor in the transport secretary role mm-hmm. uh well Actually, no, I think there was a transport secretary under Liz Truss, who I can't remember who it was. Sure. But let's assume, let's just pretend it was Grant. We'll go back to Grant Shapps under Boris Johnson. Uh, Shapps was um, pretty clear that he didn't want to engage in negotiations with the rail unions. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to get involved. He wanted to leave it between the unions and the companies. Yeah. Um, And he was pretty, you know, he had quite a hard line on on that. Um, Mark Harper uh, has got a very different approach in that he said he's willing to meet with the unions um, at least to get the people around the table. Yeah. Um, it's it's not down to the government to decide on pay of, mm-hmm. of people who work on the railways, but the government can play an important role in, in bringing people to the table. Yeah. 
Um, and I think this the suspension of the RMT strike at least shows that there is some movement, there is a bit of progress on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much of that is down to you know, Rishi Sunak and his government, or if it's just a process of months of, of talks, but yeah. um, it does seem to be like they've taken a different approach and things are changing, at least in the, with the railways. I think the railways is a particularly interesting one too, because obviously there is a transport minister. Transport is a key part of yeah. government really. Um, and also rail strikes are so important to the economy kind of as a whole. There's other strikes which are clearly important as well, but you can see railways, commuters, all that stuff is so fundamental to businesses and kind of the workings of government and as we've seen throughout the summer it can hurt the government too obviously they're not necessarily responsible for the kind of negotiations as you said but transport and that kind of stuff is one of few places where there's a clear interaction between regular people and the government on a day-to-day basis so if it goes badly that can cause some blowback on both sides i mean the rmt have got a lot of blame too but Mm. That's not where it ends, obviously. I mentioned uh, kind of the civil service, nursing, Royal Mail, a number of other strikes, so you kind of like a wave of strikes. Um, again, do you want to give us a rundown of what's happening with those strikes? I'm also interested from both of you why we're seeing so many strikes. This is kind of an unprecedented across the board. We obviously see some strikes each year, but it does seem like this is an increased number. So kind of what's behind this? Yeah, I can, I can talk about what's kind of happening and then if you want to jump in and explain... What's yeah. going on? Do you um, want to go first? Yeah, sure. Go on okay. then. Why um, so one of the most recent ones is the Royal College of Nursing, um, yeah. which represents nurses in the NHS. Um, they voted for a nationwide strike for the first time in their entire history, which is like 100 years or something. Um, and that is over pay and job mm-hmm. conditions as well. Um, I think, who else have we got? Royal Mail, like you said, they've got a similar strike. Civil service, one of the unions representing people in the civil service are also going to strike uh, again because of pay. Yeah. Um, Isn't there like the lawyers as well? Yeah, I think the barrister strike is finished now. Okay, that that did happen. Yeah, that did happen. Um, There's the possibility of a teacher's strike as well. Mm -hmm. I don't think they voted on that yet, but there's just every sector. Yeah, university lecturers. Bloody lefties. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, strikers, it strikes in, in most public. Yeah. And well, not most, but in a lot of public and private sector um, industries, uh, mostly over pay and, and job conditions and that type of thing. Uh, Zach, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's good timing. Nice little segue. <laughs> Very smooth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you you said that, Jack, you said that it was un- unprecedented. I mean, it is sort of unprecedented. The, the, the nearest precedent we have is obviously the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cause is, is basically the same in both yes. cases. It's that we have inflation about 10%. Um, I think that the current wave of strikes have been exacerbated by the fact that public sector wage growth has been pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some sense, that's just because, well, wage growth in the UK more generally has been pretty measly since about 2008, really. Um, but particularly in, in certain sectors like nursing, it's been the, the wage shortage has been particularly acute. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's happened, obviously, the inflation is about 10%, which means that you need a 10% wage increase to essentially match your standard of living compared to last year. Um, and well, the government just isn't willing to give 10% wage increases. Yeah. Um, the independent pay review bodies who are sort of responsible for recommending pay increases are basically recommending 4 to 5% pay increases across the board. Um, obviously, that's, that's 5% lower than what inflation is. It's also worth noting that is lower than aggregate private sector wage growth. Yes. So private sector wage growth year on year is about 6%. So mm-hmm. 
people working in the public sector, people like nurses, people like, you know, doctors, all that sort of shenanigans, they're saying 5% just isn't enough. It's less than inflation. We're already underpaid and it's mm -hmm. less than what the private sector is getting. Um, the government's pushing back on it for two reasons. The first is obviously, as you might have noticed, we don't have that much fiscal space at the moment. Um, you know, that we just can't borrow that much money. And in some sense, we can't afford, um, well, at least the Tories would say, we can't afford mm -hmm. um, to, to pay our public sector workers more unless we raise taxes. And yes. we're also unwilling to do that. Um, but also they'll be worried about what's the wage price spiral, which sure. is this phenomenon that um, sort of haunts the sort of collective psychology of, of Westminster politicians. And it's this phenomenon where inflation's high, so mm -hmm. you raise wages and that creates migrant demand, push up inflation, have to raise wages even further. Um, I think the, the, the problem here is that there just really is, there's just no, there's no obvious solution. There's no palatable solution to both sides. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a really crap answer because I'm basically just saying, I don't know how this ends, but like, I just can't see, I can't see the government agreeing to anything that is even close to what the unions are demanding. For example, I think the nurse is asking for a 17% pay rise. Yeah, I think Isn't they wanted right? something like 5% above inflation to make up for years uh, of underpaying. Underpay. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be about 17%. Yeah. which is huge. I mean, Steve Barclay, the health secretary says that's, he called it unaffordable and you know, impossible. He basically. estimated it being nine billion pounds. It would cost, them, wow. cost the government nine billion pounds, which is, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's quite a lot of money. Yeah. It's, it would sort of add about 15% on the, the current deficit that we're, that we're looking at. Um, but yeah, it's, so I just can't see, like the difference between the 5% that the government wants yeah, and the 15% huge. is massive. Like where, where's, where's the space for agreement there? Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not optimistic about this. I think what is interesting is, is Labour's position on this. So as always, Labour have tried to fudge it and their current position is that we don't support the strikes, but we understand them, yeah. which is a bit iffy. It's not very interesting. Yeah. I think that's actually politically just almost a mistake. I think that actually public support for, well, this is, I don't know, this is my intuition. Yeah. Public support for strikes will actually increase yeah. um, over the, the coming weeks, just because as inflation kicks up and People realise how, how how tough living, how expensive the cost of living is at the moment. I think yeah. sympathy for, frankly, underpaid public sector workers mm -hmm. will probably increase. I might be wrong about that. People might be so put off by the you know, the fact that nurses aren't working and the trains aren't working and all that sort yeah. of shenanigans that they just get irritated. But my intuition is that actually public sympathy for for strikers will increase over time. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you on that, especially when it's multiple sectors striking at the same time. When it was just the train strikes earlier this year, there was a lot of a lot of people say yeah. trains, train drivers earn this much, nurses earn this much, you know, why are train strikers driving? But when you have nurses striking, uh, railway mm -hmm. people striking, civil service people striking, like all across different sectors, it does kind of paint a clearer picture of yes. actually there's a lot wrong here. It's not just one group of people wanting more money. Yeah, you know? I think like, for example, nurses, mm. people are not going to go, oh, the bloody nurses, they're paid way too much. Have yeah. you seen that mm. nurses on... 35k a year. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to see that. No. So, yeah. It'll be interesting. Uh, yeah. Clearly, we're kind of still towards the beginning end of this story, I think. It's been going on for a while now. Um, but as you say, no clear resolution in sight. So, this could continue to be an issue for Rishi. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I say one more thing on it? Go for it. The last thing I think is interesting about this is that since the 70s, governments across well, maybe not Europe, but the UK and the US mm. have basically legislated to reduce the power of unions. Um, and we've sort of forgotten that unions exist for the most best yeah. part of 40 years. 
Um, and this is a reminder that, that unions do exist. And it's also interesting because inflation is one of those things where it actually it encourages unionization. And I think that we should see a return to, well, we'll probably see at least in the short term, a return to the politics of unionization mm -hmm. and essentially labor trying to regain some of its power, bargaining power against well, capital, essentially. Yeah. Mm. Cool, sorry, just a little tangent. No, I think it's an interesting yeah. structural change yeah. in, in the poli yeah, yeah. Yeah, political economy. Um, before we move to the next issue, uh, a quick shout out to the TLDR Awards. Um, we have just put forward the shortlist. The TLDR team nominated their favorite contributions of the year under a number of different categories. And we're looking for your votes to find out who you think made the best video, what you think the best video is, etc., etc. So if you like our content, if you watch a lot of our content, I mean, if you're, what, 10 minutes into a podcast, you probably do, um, then Cast your votes now. The link will be in the description of this video. Unless we forget, in which case you can find it on Twitter or something, I imagine. Okay, next nice. issue. Um, we have an ongoing issue, another ongoing yeah. issue. In fact, an even longer <coughs> running issue. Um, the channel migrant uh, situation. Um, there's been a deal reached over the weekend. Yeah, signed this morning. What has happened? Um, yeah, so how long ago did we do a podcast episode on channel migrants last week possibly or week yeah, before it wasn't long ago was it two yeah. weeks ago max sure yeah anyway um suella braverman the home secretary has just signed a deal with her french uh, counterpart um, aimed at reducing the number of people in crossing the channel in small mm. boats um i can just go through briefly what's in the deal uh, it's pretty pretty short um basically the uk is going to pay more money to france so that france can step up their patrols of the north uh, northern french coast okay aiming to intercept uh boats trying to cross the channel yeah. um so this year the uk will pay france 63 million pounds mm -hmm. last year we paid them 55 million pounds so this is a, you know an increase on that um i think sweller braverman said that would enable like a 40 percent increase in patrols yeah. as well as investment in things like um drones and night vision and okay. all sorts of things um so that's the kind of financial side of it yeah. they've also uh, France has also agreed for the first time to allow British police officers to be embedded in their police, at least in the control rooms of the um, kind of northern coast mm -hmm. uh, to, to, I guess, cooperate on that type of thing. Um, they don't actually have any operational power in that. They'll just be observing, I, I, sure. I guess. It's such an odd bugbear of yeah. the UK government. Like the fact that we, we're basically implicitly just saying we just don't trust the French yeah, police. Yeah, pretty much. They're just all eating croissants and not actually doing their job. <laughs> and the it's things. interesting though, because you're right, that is a regular attack that the yeah. French aren't doing enough, etc. Yeah. And it'll be interesting if that kind of diminishes as presumably, I mean... I'm assuming the French are doing what they say they are. It'd be weird if they weren't. So presumably when the English police or British police are embedded and find out that everything is as expected, yeah. it'll be interesting whether that argument dies down or whether the actual reality won't shape yeah, the it's funny because it's too powerful. Reading the Home Office statement and bearing in mind the Home Office, or at least the Home Secretary has been saying for ages, uh, you know, the French aren't doing enough. This yeah. statement was really quite warm and friendly mm. saying, look how much stuff we've done this year and we're going to do even more together now. It, it's yeah. really quite a polar opposite to the kind of rhetoric they've been so, using. As you say, there have been a number of other deals and cooperation agreements and things in the past. So what is it that makes this one different to the others? Um, not a huge amount. The British police thing is is one difference, but yeah. that's not actually that major. It's basically more money to do more of mm -hmm. the same. Um, and that has prompted criticism of this deal is just we're paying the french more money and we're not convinced we're going to see results yeah um 
one uh, the refugee council which is kind of the main charity that deals with refugees in the country said it just doesn't even address uh, the the pull factors or the push factors as to why people do mm -hmm. make that dangerous crossing um, but the prime minister said um, that you know this is there's no simple fix yes. uh, this is hopefully going to bring numbers down in the long term mm -hmm. um, it's just one part of the government's approach to it um, but yeah as it as kind of as a standalone thing i don't i can't see it being a huge difference to what we had last year or in you know in previous years zach do you see this working uh i think we're always basically i think mean, it's probably too early to dismiss it like sure. you know let's let's be optimistic about it quote unquote working but we're always right history suggests that it won't work mm -hmm. because we've signed similar cooperation agreements with the french since basically the, the 90s which is when this this problem problem first really popped up or maybe even the 80s um and they've involved stuff in the past like for example we had more checks on lorries yes. heat sensors for example to catch people in the back of lorries on the eurostar and that sort of thing um and obviously then we had patrols along the coast mm -hmm. and you know, potential well migrants always find a way essentially because the the pull factors are quite strong um I, no one, no one can preempt what that new method of arrival is going to be. Yeah. But chances are, they probably they'll find a new way to, mm -hmm. to cross the cross the shore. Um, I think if if it doesn't work, I think it's going to become a real political bugbear for Sunak. I think that as we, I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but Truss and Johnson basically got away with the fact that they were anti-immigration vibes or yes. politically. That's how sure. they got away with it. You know, you, they gave really tough talk. Sunak can talk as tough as he wants, but fundamentally, he he just doesn't have that rep as a sort of right-leaning anti-immigrant dude yeah. um, for slightly obvious reasons. Sure. And I do worry, I think that he will be worried about um, essentially that political space that will be opening up to the right of him mm -hmm. um, that Reform UK will be looking to capitalise on. So I think yeah. the latest Redfield Wilton polling had Reform UK on 7%, which might not sound like much, but it's the highest they've had for, for basically years. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see the outlines of Reform UK slash Nigel Farage manifesto forming it's going to be basically the Tories aren't tough enough on immigration and the chances are this won't work and immigration numbers will stay high so that yeah. line is going to hold um they're going to be anti-net zero mm -hmm. sunak is already he's he's going to has he gone to cop going to cop yeah he's cop. been to cop, yeah. Already, to cop yeah. sorry yeah he's been to cop he's, he's clearly not going to change much from the johnson line on that nope. and it's going to be sort of we haven't brexited hard enough yes. and sure sunak has, has talked a tough game on that and he you know he was talking about repealing all 2400 eu mm -hmm. retained eu laws back in the campaign and uh, he's given Dominic Raab back his Brexit Bill of Rights Bill or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he, A, he's already backtracked on the retained EU law stuff and B, the, the Bill of Rights stuff, he, he doesn't seem like, sound like he wants to leave the ECHR. Yeah. Um, so I, you can see that's the sort of line that Farage and Co, if whatever form that right-wing party takes is gonna take, they're gonna say mm -hmm. that this Brexit hasn't been proper, the reason we have got shit growth and all this sort of stuff is because we haven't Brexited hard enough. Yeah. So I think that's, I just feel like this is a symptom of that wider problem for Sunak, which is that he's going to struggle to cover up the right of the political spectrum um, yeah. in the same way that Truss and, and Johnson did. Um, the only other thing that was interesting uh, is... Actually, maybe I've got two things that are interesting. Go on. Yeah, two, two interesting things. things. Two wow. interesting things. How long have we got left on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> again, I was going to say, like last time, I think Starmer's policy on this is interesting. Okay. Uh, again, it's the government's plan isn't working. It's interesting mm -hmm. that he, he likes talking about it at the moment because historically, obviously, Labour haven't liked talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I think the most recent soundings he's, he's made suggest that he actually wants to be tough on immigration as well. You know, mm -hmm. um, And I th again, interesting policy decision from Starmer. Um, I don't know how well it will 
you know, you know, obviously what it's trying to do is trying to compete for that sort of like quote unquote centrist middle ground voter. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting how that plays with the left of his party. Um, and the final thing is just that like, I don't want to sound catas- catastrophic about this. I don't want to sound overdramatic. Sure. But the, the UK really needs to sort out its immigration policy um, before immigration really kicks up as a symptom of the climate issues. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, given that we're, we're not going to make 1.5 degrees, we should expect in, in basically the sort of most developed world, the 30 or so countries that are really functioning countries, will have to get ready for far higher rates of immigration in the, you know, the 5, 10, 25 years. Mm. Um, and at the moment, we just we don't have the capacity to deal with the 20,000 or so people that are coming over in little boats. We're not going to have the capacity if we get another serious migration wave mm. from the Middle East or Africa. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry, a bit of a that's, somber tone. That's one of, the, one of the criticisms of this deal I saw is that, you know, we're paying money to the French to try and stop people crossing the channel into the UK when actually the asylum system in the UK is massively underfunded. And that's why you've got like tens of thousands of people claiming asylum, but their cases just aren't yeah. going mm-hmm. through quick enough. Um, so you've got this huge backlog and it's really unpopular with like everyone across the political spectrum for various reasons, you know, on the right, broadly, they don't like it because the government are paying to, to keep asylum seekers in hotels and things. Uh, the kind of refugee advocates and advocates for asylum seekers don't like it because you've got people languishing for months almost years in hotels yeah. while their cases aren't being made it's the government's like current trajectory on it just just isn't popular with anyone so yeah. it's kind of a losing issue on both sides i think absolutely um let's stick with the keir starmer element of that you're talking about kind of his attitude um this is kind of a difficult topic for him he has a number of kind of relatively difficult topics brexit being another one that they're just kind of avoiding at the moment um but another attack line that continues to stick is in relation to jeremy corbyn the previous labor prime minister from 2017 to 2019 sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> very good point um the previous labor leader from 2017 to 2019 um it's a regular attack line at pmqs it's something that he constantly gets kind of associated with um what's the latest on that there's rumors that there's gonna be some changes in relationship in the relationship between labor as a party and also uh, jeremy corbyn so corbyn for those who don't know currently is an independent mp he's not a member of the parliamentary labor party but he is still a member of the party the wider party just as an individual um it was in the times i think my notes say yeah that um members of the shadow cabinet were trying to urge keir starmer to permanently expel corbyn from the party um like his individual membership to permanently uh kind of expel him from that um to try and to try and like stop these attacks from sunak um but firstly the yeah firstly these are just kind of unnamed sources in the times so um, we don't know how many people are actually urging starmer to do that but you know, Sunak, it, let's say Starmer did do that. Mm-hmm. Sunak's not going to stop talking about no. Jeremy Corbyn, is he, uh, in Prime Minister's questions? Um, mainly because they obviously think it's an effective line. I don't know how effective it is, but sure. they obviously think it is. But also the, the fundamental part of his attack line there is that Starmer supported Corbyn in 2017 and 2019. Mm-hmm. Not that he's still friends with him. Yes. I don't think anyone could argue that Keir Starmer has made many attempts to keep the left, like the Corbyn left of the party on his side. Yeah. Um, he's kind of done almost everything he can to like exclude that wing of the party um so i I don't i i can't see starmer actually doing this expulsion of jeremy corbyn because that would just bring the issue into the limelight and cause a debate when actually if he just leaves things as it is the only person talking about it is uh you know the conservative government Mm -hmm. um but you know who knows 
knows what might happen. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Rory. I don't even think that the, the Tory line associating Starmer with Corbyn is even, indi- is even directly aimed at like median voters. What it's really trying to do is just reignite that internal battle in the Labour Party, yeah. make them spend some time fighting each other, remind everyone that there is still a left wing to the Labour Party and they do still have some... I mean, this is not, a, this is not supposed to be a value judgment on it, but they do have some generically unpopular takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that Starmer's best shot here is just, just ignore it. It's just let, him, let it wash over him because... Yeah. Every time he sort of indulges in it, it gets a bit like, oh, maybe I'll kick out Corbyn. Yeah. Uh, then everyone gets, oh, you, you get the whole fight between the left and the centre Labour Party kicked up again. They don't, they don't need they it. They don't now. need it. Um, speaking of that, one final thing, kind of a fight for Labour. Um, there's been kind of associated rumours that Jeremy Corbyn might consider running for London mayor in 2024 when it's next up for re-election. Uh, obviously, the expectation is that he won't be running as the <laughs> Labour candidate. Um He'd be running as an independent, mm-hmm. would likely take votes away from Labour, though, so it's still kind of a battle between the two. Um, do you see that as likely that uh, Corbyn could run for mayor? And if so, does he stand a chance? I don't think it's likely. Um, I think this is the second time now that this these kind of rumours have come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are people close to Corbyn saying, oh, you should do this. But yeah. I've also equally seen people say these conversations aren't happening and yeah. it's not something Corbyn actually wants to do. Um Ultimately, you know, you have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that's wow. great analysis, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> that yeah. Was just yeah. Bigger issue. Bigger issue. Yeah. Rule, you're um, so well connected. That's why I love about you. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Having just used before that, it. I'm going to say the exact same yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've got no idea. I, but also, I think um, uh, actually, it's worth saying. So, Sadiq Khan, the current mm-hmm. Labour mayor, uh, he can run for a third term if he wants, and he has yeah. indicated that he does want to. Um, so if Corbyn did want to run, it'd be, you know, independent directly against against Sadiq Khan, but I just, I can't see it happening. And also I don't think, I think he's, you know, Corbyn is probably popular in London, Mm -hmm. but they've actually changed or by the next election, they Mm -hmm. will have changed the voting system from, uh, supplementary voting to first past the post in London for mayor. So, you know, that makes it even harder for any kind of independent candidate to to make any ground in London. Although it does make it more likely that it'll shaft Khan because obviously, I mean, the the most likely outcome if if Corbyn, well, the most likely effect of Corbyn running would be for him to split the left leaning vote and allow Sean Bailey or whoever the Conservative candidate is to just come straight through the middle. Yeah. Um, Could that be why first past the post is implemented? It actually is. It's definitely why. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not even a conspiracy. Yeah, we should say that changed the electoral system in London. Uh, The people of London, the London Mm -hmm. Authority didn't decide that. That was part of the Government's Elections Act that kind of enforced first past the post onto the, uh, all the kind of, Mayor, mayoral elections sure. across the country. I think that's the word. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I guess we don't know. <laughs> Thanks for wait and see. Question, yeah. Um, we'll have to wait and see. We yeah. have to say wait and see. Exactly. Just end yeah. every episode like that. I think. We'll have to wait and see. Well, we're meant to have a script of what I say at the end of the episode. It was uh, like a big introduction a couple of weeks ago, or a week or so ago. And for the second week in a row, I forgot to print it out. And I also don't have my phone with this. So yeah. I can read it out. So from memory. Um, the big issue is <laughs> TLDR production for 326 Limited. It was presented by me, Jack Kelly, alongside Rory Taylor and Zach Michaelis. It was produced by Thomas Love and edited by Scarlett. Is it Scarlett? Is it going to be Scarlett? Probably. Okay, yeah. Um, cool. <laughs> I think that's it. This is great. Right. That was worse than we did. <laughs> so much worse. <laughs>